Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Barry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Hello. Hello. It's The Future Belongs to Creators, and we're back. It doesn't matter what date it is, you know, because when you listen to this, for most of you, you're going to have no idea what date it is. However, there are some timely details in this one that you'll be able to look up and figure out when we were recording it in 2021. Today's topic is basically free agent versus under contract creators and just kind of some of the things we're seeing out there in the market with the podcast space race heating up and a variety of other things. We're going to talk about basically the economics of being a free agent versus a an under contract creator and some of the parallels to the sports and music world that we're seeing play out across a lot of other creator categories. But first, we cannot possibly get too far into the show without asking the delightful Nathan Barry. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good. Uh, probably yellow overall, but it's a good week. I won't forget the air update from your side, but here the air has almost totally cleared, which is pretty great. Today is the first day of our ninth ConvertKit team retreat. It is our first, hopefully only, virtual team retreat, but like more likely it's our first of two yeah. virtual team retreats. I don't know. It's exciting to kind of have this break, do these fun activities with the team, have a totally different feeling for it all. And it's also just kind of sad that you have this constant reminder that it's not in person. We had a sweet team retreat plan. A bunch of the team has put up photos of the state that we were staying, where they were going to stay at as their virtual Zoom backgrounds. And it's like, oh, it's nostalgic and kind of just makes you want to cry inside a little bit. So anyway, I'm good overall. Excited to dive into this topic and be good. How are you? I'm green. I'm a little tired because we have teammates ranging from the West Coast of the U.S. all the way to New Zealand. The time zone thing is not ideal for the ends of the spectrum, although it's more ideal for me than the other end. So I will clarify that. Yeah. So my day started at 7 a.m. today. My work day did, which is fine. It's definitely earlier than I would choose to start. However, yeah, I had that thing going on last night where I kept waking up in anticipation of not wanting to sleep through the alarm. Oh, yeah. And we had a gorgeous weekend, gorgeous blue skies, just like fantastic. And the smoke is rolling back in today. We're, we're now up to like 120 oh, something on the AQI. So I was mentally prepared. At least you got that break though. Yes, I'll take the break. I will take the break. Cleaned up my yard. Anyways, that's our allotted time of weather updates and other such things that <laughs> nobody cares about except for our live listeners who are here with us. Okay, so I want to like set the table here for this discussion because you and I are both really plugged in kind of to like the intersection of the creator community and the startup scene and kind of how those things interplay, especially. And I thought that occasionally it could be fun to start almost having a little bit of a current events type episode where we're talking about what's going on out there yep. and how does it affect the creator ecosystem? How's it going to change? change where we're going. And one of the trends is podcast is becoming like the next streaming market. It is doing what video streaming with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV and all of this has done for a long time, where Apple forever has conducted itself as basically an open source provider of podcasting platform. They're not going to give you a whole lot in terms of data or anything else, but they're not going to charge any money. You can publish your feed for free. They'll organize it into a nice little way to find everything, put a little bit of an algorithm behind what's hot. Now, 
Spotify is getting into podcasting. They've done a couple year tests that we'll get into, and now they're going big, signing really big deals. A couple of the biggest that you might have heard of are Joe Rogan, Michelle Obama, and they've got a whole list of clients. Bill Simmons is now there. And then Amazon is going to start getting into it with their Audible company. So they're getting into podcast. I saw a little bit of like a meme-ish type tweet saying, based on who they signed, if this was your ploy to try and get more millennials listening to Audible, you completely effed this up or something like that. (laughs) Just showing like a lack of understanding of the market based on who they signed. Anyways, podcasting is having this interesting moment. And then on the other side, so there's a whole mental health angle to this. And I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that because we're not qualified, but Kanye has been possibly having a psychotic break in public. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in like a sincere way. But as a part of that, I mean, he has just been trying to expose the music industry for the way they write contracts, tweeting out Mm -hmm. his 10 full contracts from his deals with Sony. I have no idea what that's going to do to him legally. But in the process, he's both raised awareness for number one, mental health issues, and number two, for music industry standard practices and just kind of how the music industry epitomizes taking advantage of the small creator while they're small and the company is making most of the money off their backs and then it being very hard to get out of that. One of the biggest implications being that artists often don't own their music that they made long-term. There's a lot of industries like this. Publishing is another one. And the creator economy kind of offers this alternative path of being a free agent, being independent. And in exchange, what you have to do is you have to become an expert in earning your own money. But what you also get with it is you own everything you ever make. Mm -hmm you get to have the long-term earnings. And so this plays into some of the past conversations we've had, like the ladders of wealth creation, billion-dollar blogs. So I want to have a conversation today about some of these deals we're seeing, the economics driving them, and whether creators are better served to be seeking out these big contracts, whether it's a book deal, podcast deal, a music deal, or whether there's a real path to both small and big-name creators being independent for the long-term. So anyways, I'd just love to hear your early early take on just kind of the topic at large, Nathan. You know, I always think of the quote of, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And we get to live out some of that this year, a lot of that this year, more than we wanted. But I feel like the licensing, creator deal, publishing, that whole world maybe has had that sort of happen where for years it was the same thing. You know, music contracts operate the same way, everything. And then now the last few years, it's like everything is changing. Music contracts are called into question. Podcasters are going from this like little thing to like, oh yeah, we'll buy Gimlet Media for, I don't know what it was, 300 million or something like that. Mm -hmm. All of these things, I think it'd be very easy, very common to compare what Spotify is doing now to the record labels, what they've always done of like, hey, we will buy your talent, we'll produce it, we'll make the majority of the money because we're giving you this reach and distribution and everything. But like, you'll still make good money. The distinction there that I want to point out is Spotify has a far better business model than the record labels do. You don't have a a recurring subscription to the record labels. Now, they think about these things in terms of like albums that they produce. Mm -hmm. You could think of that like an annuity. That back catalog is constantly paying the record label money. So they're looking for, okay, what things will be these perennial sellers? It's still not as good as what Spotify's got. They actually have recurring revenue. And so when you're looking at it, you're like, oh yeah, Spotify's just acting like a record label and doing it in podcasts and comedy and these other places. Realize they have a way better business model. So you're going to see them doing it even more. The global market understands that when you see Spotify sign with Joe Rogan and their market cap goes up by billions of dollars, like immediately. And so not only are you going to see it at the same level, but it's going to be so much more because their business model is better. Basically, all that to say, I think we're just getting started in the amount of money that Spotify is going to throw out in this space. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
If you're not well-versed in the, in the kind of finance world and the markets, market cap is basically shares outstanding times the value of a share on a public market. And so if I have 100,000 shares outstanding and they're $10 a share, I have a million dollars of market cap is kind of how that works. And that's how you can evaluate the future prospects of a company. That's the idea behind public financial markets. Not to patronize anyone, but I didn't know a lot of that before I started getting into it. So there's so much here, but I want to give a little history and just kind of some of the drama and tension that's happening right now. So Joe Budden is this hip hop artist. It's been around a long time. He's had a podcast for a while with a couple of co-hosts. And in 2018, he signed one of the very earliest deals with Spotify. My guess is that the contract was relatively small compared to what they're doing now, but it was valuable to him. He was super pumped about it. His co-hosts were pumped about it. Now, fast forward to today, it was a two-year contract. They're renewing or going through renewal negotiations. And he's seeing Joe Rogan sign. He's seeing Michelle Obama sign. He's seeing Howard Stern get paid by Sirius. He's seeing all these people get paid. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, I helped y'all get here. I helped you prove the model. So you're going to pay me now. And they're basically saying, no, no, no. We have all the advanced analytics now. We know exactly what you're worth to us. We're going to give you exactly what you're worth to us. Part of the interesting thing with a Spotify or recurring revenue business like this versus a publisher or a record label is a record label and a publisher want to give an amount of money that incentivizes the artist to go with them, the artist or the author, to go with them, but not more than they can earn back. So they're trying to find this like local maximum of exactly how much can they pay and make sure they're going to get every dollar of that back is really what they're trying to do. Spotify's like, I can pay you a lot more dollars because I know I'm going to get a lot more dollars off of you than one of these other deals is going to mm -hmm. where we're sharing the revenue in the same way. And so they have just this ability to offer much larger contracts. And so Joe Budden and Spotify have gotten to this dead end where Joe says, you're not willing to pay me what I'm worth. And his alternative option is being independent or going to another platform. You know, he could go to Amazon, he could go to Sirius, he could go to any of the audio streaming partners. What I'm interested in is that independent option. Like, what does it actually look like to be independent? You know, to use a sports example of this, if you're in the NBA and you have a five-year rookie deal, which is what most rookies coming out of college or high school get, they get a five-year deal, make a couple million dollars a year, it's respectable, but it's not a big contract, right? But they don't put them under contract forever. Yep. You're a rookie, you don't want to get taken advantage of. So the collective bargaining has helped them there. They get to the end and they get to negotiate. They're a free agent, right? They can go to any team in the league. But here's the thing about that. There are 30 teams in the league and there is no other option. You want to go play basketball in the park? Go for it. But you're not going to make any money doing it. So your options are one of the 30 teams or nothing at all, basically. Occasionally, you'll see guys go over to Europe or to Asia to play in one of the leagues offshore. Being a creator, there's infinite options. Yeah, there's the big players, but really what you're choosing between is, do I want to be under contract and get paid up front? Or do I want to be independent and have all the long-term value accrue to myself? And then if I want to be under contract, which of the teams do I want to play for? And so that's the big opportunity, right? Is if you can understand the economics of being independent, then you have a better chance at number one, negotiating for yourself properly. And number two, figuring out what the best long-term value for you is. So when you think about, let's say you were going through this, Nathan, and you have in some ways, you've self-published a book. Right. You're thinking about traditionally publishing a book would be one example. But let's say this podcast blew up and we were having contract negotiations with one of these platforms of whether we wanted to be signed or stay independent. How would you be thinking about the financial opportunity of staying independent? 
I think the number one thing I'd be looking at is what it does for my brand or the brand of the show. I think it's so interesting. If you're in one position, you know, we talked about this last week a little bit with the, in the Billion Dollar Blog episode, talking about the photographer to do a deal for an Apple ad, right? And that elevating their brand. Or I think Michelle Obama is a great example of not coming from the indie creator, like, let me just email my fans that world. And so signing a deal with Spotify doesn't elevate her brand, but it gives her this whole new angle that she didn't have before. And so I think that totally makes a lot of sense for you and I, if we signed a deal that would elevate our brand Mm -hmm. in that case. Joe Rogan, I'm not seeing it. That's one of those where he already has that direct access. He already has all those things. So I don't think it actually elevates his brand to sign a deal with Spotify, but that's the first way that I would think about it. Same thing with independent publishing versus a traditional published deal. Like what's the goal? It's a conversation I've had all the time. And is it to influence and reach the most people or to build the most reputation as an individual? If so, go traditionally publish. But if it's to earn the most and you're willing to learn that business side of it, then you go self-publish. And I think there's this article that Andrew Wilkinson, who owns a bunch of companies, but one of the companies is Supercast. And so he's obviously, it's a subscription podcast tool for creators. So he's a little biased when he writes this article about Joe Rogan getting ripped off. But I think he's got a point that if Joe Rogan wanted to run that whole business infrastructure himself, that I think he would earn more from it than he would from Spotify. What's your take on that? I think it's probably close. The numbers haven't been disclosed, but it looks like they paid him in the hundreds of millions, in the low hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And so part of the challenge when you're in that kind of seat is doing the math on how that happens any other way. Right. You have to really understand the economics of your situation in order to not get wowed by the number. And I think that's a big part of what leads to people taking these deals is it's like, I couldn't generate $100 million on my own over five years. It's like, well, I mean, hold on. Right. It's $20 million a year. I don't, I don't actually remember how long. Yeah, how long the deal was. But I'd say it was actually three years and he's getting between 30 and 50 million a year. Okay, so it's 30 and 50 million a year between there. It's not... 200 million. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, it's just like the episode where we walked through how much money do you want to make and then backing up to your audience. I do like the math in this article that you were just referencing from Supercast, and we'll link to it in the show notes. You know, if he's got whatever he's got, 11 million listeners, (laughs) one man has 11 million listeners of a podcast. Anyways, I digress. 11 million. And he goes through and he says, okay, but let's say you're not going to like, if you were going to charge directly is the whole use case here for some subscribers. And then you were also going to continue selling ads. Well, ads work on a CPM basis. And so 11 million is a pretty big audience in terms of ad revenue. You're going to make good money on that. I don't know what you would call it. A couple hundred thousand dollars an episode, probably, or something like that is probably kind of your ceiling there. Yeah, I think so. Tim Ferriss has shared a bunch of his numbers related to sponsorships and stuff like that over the years. Last numbers that came out maybe a year, year and a half ago where he was making $70,000, okay. $65,000 an episode yep. on a much smaller listener base. You know, he's he's got a famous podcast, but it's not anywhere close to Joe Rogan's level. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, right there, you say, let's say 150, 200 grand an episode, an episode a week. I don't know how often Joe comes out with his stuff, but let's say it's an episode a week. And that's an easy frequency to maintain. Let's say he does twice a week, you double your income, you know? Right. And that's the other thing. That's another lever you can pull is let's crank that thing up. Let's do three times a week and let's keep getting the same listenership. I mean, that's $100,000 an episode times 50 episodes a year right there. You're already moving up the charts in terms of income. He actually does four episodes a week. Okay, there you go. So four times 100,000 times 52 
That's $20 million a year just in sponsorship money. And that's $100,000 an episode, not 200. Right. So part of the calculus on this is knowing the math, right? Doing that math and then saying, well, let's say I did a premium version. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do private Q and A's once a week with my premium subscribers. And let's say one or 2% of people will pay me five bucks a month or something like that. 1% of 11 million people is a lot of people, it turns out. It's 110,000 people paying $5 a month. That's $550,000 a month, which is $6.5 million a year. So with just the basic math and 1% of his listeners paying him, you're already up in the $30 million range a year before you've even thought very much about where to make money from. Right. And this doesn't even get into your whole point from our episode a couple times ago, or I guess maybe last Monday of, well, what physical product could you make? What category adjacent thing could you launch that you can then parlay this whole attention to so that you're not just paying sponsors, you're actually building your company as a result of it. So if I'm talking with Joe Budden and we're strategizing, and, and by the way, I will acknowledge Joe Budden's been accused of a bunch of stuff since the negotiations spiraled out of control. I have no idea where that's coming from. I have no idea if it's true. I just want to say it out loud. I know that. I have no idea if Joe Budden's a good person because I don't know him. Yeah. But if I'm advising him theoretically, and he is a good person, which is the only way I would advise him, I'd be saying, look, man, let's build a strategy where you don't need any of these people because you've got a big enough audience that it does not matter what any of them will pay you. Let's go do it over here. And it might take a little bit longer to get up and running, but the long-term value of that is you don't have to negotiate another contract ever related to will you sell your podcast right. to a network or a streaming service for what you can earn because you can earn it yourself and build something that then you could eventually sell as its own thing. That is an interesting conversation to me. I think another aspect of it that's interesting is besides the money, what's the platform going to bring to the table? Yeah. And that's a, a part that we never get to see in these deals. You know, Joe Rogan might be looking at it and be like, look, it's just about the money. But someone else might be like, I'm thinking about if we were starting our podcast network and we're trying to sign, you know, a big part of that would be, hey, we'll promote you to hundreds of thousands of creators that follow us, right? That would be, I don't know that it, it wouldn't be all of our pitch because our platform's not that big yet, but yeah, it would be part of it. And so it'd be the money and those things. So maybe one of these creators, maybe the original pitch for Joe Budden when he came over was like, hey, we'll take your podcast from here to there because we'll actively promote it in the Spotify discovery, Spotify content marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so that might be part of the reason that he's like, well, this isn't so good anymore because they might be like, yep, same money. And he's like, where's the promotion? They're like, ah, oh, well, we don't actually like you anymore. You were a bridge to help us get to this point. Yeah. And so if that promotion isn't there, then he has a lot of reason to be like, you're not holding up your end of the bargain and I'm out. Right. So transitioning a little bit to the music industry, it's really interesting to me to think about the future here and whether we're actually going to see artists start to go independent at the end of their label contracts. Mm -hmm. Drake is one of the big names that keeps coming up in this because he's nearing the end. Of, or people think he's nearing the end of what they believe is his current contract. He's the Joe Rogan equivalent in music where his name's big enough. Taylor Swift would be another one. Yep. You know, if they go fully independent, that's like a big deal. They have their audience. They don't need anything from the record labels. Right. But what the record labels have on them is two things. One is the creation and distribution of physical discs was the first thing that they had forever. That is becoming less and less relevant. Yep. Second is distribution to radio. And so much of the music industry, right. believe it or not, is still driven by local radio DJs and getting your stuff played over and over to what people are listening to. 50 years, that's going to change. It's going to be playlists on Apple and Spotify and everywhere else that drives the demand. Right. And I think 
think we're already getting there, but I'm fascinated to see what's the business model for a musician who's independent and can they get the same kind of reach and income without a label driving their progress. If you're a musician or you were sitting down with Taylor Swift, let's say, and it's like, let's take this thing 100% independent. Let's record your new masters. Let's like sell your own stuff now because Scooter Braun is still being annoying. (laughs) Well, what's funny is Kanye and Taylor now have that in common, that they're both trying to get their masters back. Totally. So it goes full circle and then it comes all the way back. But what's, what's the model there? Like, is it just owning the distribution and going all in on the digital kind of taste making that exists now and using your name as kind of a proxy for the need for radio? Like you're just subbing that in or what's the model for a musician that goes independent now? Yeah, I think it's fascinating and and something that you don't really know until someone does it. Right. It becomes this paid model. Like I think about Louis C.K. when he released his first, you know, he didn't do an HBO special or a Netflix special. He was like, here it is, direct consumer. I don't know what it was, five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, and everyone's like, whoa, this is mind blowing. And it was, but it was just him doing the same thing that all other creators do. And so I'm wondering, you know, like with Taylor's latest release of the album Folklore, I would just want to know more behind the scenes of the numbers and everything else. But I'm really curious. You know, she announced that 24 hours before it went live. Mm -hmm. She had a whole campaign selling all of that merch and and cut like limited edition albums on her site. Was that a hybrid deal with the record label? Like was a bunch of that money going straight to her pocket? Because that's how I would do it is like, great, we'll still use all of you for what you're good at. But this other thing, like those true fans, which in in Taylor's case, you know, she has tens of millions of, Mm -hmm. we'll get all of that revenue just direct to us. Right. I'm so curious. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's as common now as it was maybe a year or two ago, but you had a lot of artists making their own apps. And so you have sort of this like fan community and that would be a $5 a month subscription or a one-time payment. Yeah. I feel like I haven't heard of that as much recently, but I think that was a way that a bunch of people were trying to get this money directly from their consumers. Mm. And that's basically what you see, like the classic example here, who's always been independent and gets tossed around a lot is her name gets tossed around a lot is Amanda Palmer, Mm -hmm. who's been with Patreon from the very beginning. Well, beginning of Patreon, she's been an artist much longer than they've been around. And she makes a very healthy living on Patreon, direct subscription, five bucks a month. She writes like, she calls them, I think, love letters to her fans. Mm -hmm. They get some like behind the scenes of what she's producing, what went into the music video or the album or the whatever, and just a very personal journey with her of what it looks like to make art for a living. And because they love her and they love her music, they just pay her every month. That's not the model I would choose if I were a big name artist or if I wanted to be a big name artist, but it might be one option. You know, maybe that is the super fan club. And then you've got your merch and then you've got your distribution deals and all of this. And the thing is, you might end up having to build a little bit of a team around you to get it done. Like Michelle Obama, I don't think she wants to hire a team to distribute a podcast and do all the things she needs to do. So if she can walk into Spotify offices or the equivalent, record at home with their help, and then they're just going to do everything else, that's a good deal for her because that's like showing up and speaking on a stage, which is what a lot of people who are politicians or big name people go on to do. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent, but for podcasting. But if you're trying to build a 50-year career and you have a choice right now about stay independent and learn the skills to be independent or go sign with the label and sign all your masters away that might one day be worth a whole lot to you, I'm going independent, I think. Because it's hard either way. If you're going to work that hard to try and make it, you might as well try and do it with a new set of tools that are available to you now and see if you can make it that way and earn all the money as you do. 
Yeah. And I think it, it just goes with what your long-term plan is. Cause a lot of these people do have a little deviation into the content world, right. And they have this big brand mm-hmm. and then exactly what you're saying. If everyone's going to do, you know, all the non-creation work for you of which, as we know, there is a ton of that kind of work Yeah, where you're like, I just wanted to record the podcast and now I'm spending 25 hours a week, like doing all these other things. Or maybe you don't want to run your own marketing company. Like we were talking as we've gotten into the music space more and had more artists sign with ConvertKit as far as running their connection with their audience and their email platform and everything, you start to see, okay, who's with a label and what those different label deals look like. Like for example, Tim McGraw has been a ConvertKit customer for a long time and he does all his own marketing where he has his own, it's not a label because they're still affiliated with a major label, but we always interact with a guy named Brian, his VP of marketing. And so he's like, decided he wants to build out that team rather than just relying on who he gets assigned from the label. And so you see that wide range of things, but I could totally see, you know, a Taylor Swift or a Joe Rogan or somebody saying like, actually, I want the little team and you guys handle all of this rather than, you know, a Michelle Obama saying like, all right, it's time to create the Obama media company. And now we've got, hey, you can grow a team to 50 people really fast. And that's a very different thing than sitting down to record a podcast twice a week. Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you know Joe Budden, and he wants to sit down with some people who can help him strategize about how to uh, go independent. We're here. You know, why this conversation is so fascinating to me is I do think music will go this direction eventually. Right. Publishing, I don't know. Seth Godin was the big name that kind of went independent with his own publishing label and partnership with Amazon years back under a project called the Domino Project. At the time, he said he'd never traditionally published another book again. And a couple of years ago, he came out with another one called This Is Marketing with a traditional publisher. And I sat down with him. I said, like, what's up? And he publicly addressed it and just said, publishing's hard. I'd rather just be the writer. Yeah. And I do think that will always be there in some industries. But as and if one or more big names in some of these industries says, I'm going to go independent, it's going to be really interesting to see what then happens to the industry and how it transforms. And maybe there will be a bunch of these little independent marketing agencies that pop up and specialize in supporting artists. And so you don't have to pay a whole team. You can pay a fractional one. But we're certainly here to try and fuel it. Yeah, I was thinking about the small teams and the agencies that pop up. Another factor in it is just what quality are you getting of support from whoever your contract is worth? You know, because I've heard that a lot from publishers or from agents and authors is that you want the publisher to pay a lot of money in advance, not because there's something special about that. They have a lot on the line and they give you the A-team, the internal A-team to work on your book launch. Yeah. I've got to imagine that if you're, you know, I think about some of the artists that we've had on creator sessions lately who have successful careers and are professional musicians doing well, but they're not like stars. So like a Matt Carney or Drew Holcomb or some of these, right? I imagine that they're in sort of this middle ground where they might get assigned to internal marketing people at the record label who are killing it for them. Or they might be getting assigned to people who are like, cool, yeah, no, you're in the, you know, my book of business. And when you have an album, let me know. Yeah. And depending on where you fall in that and what your experience is, it could be very worth it to say, okay, I'm going to go out and hire my own marketing team. I'm going to hire my own designers. You know, you see this with authors all the time where the publisher's like, we designed the cover. And then you get four or five concepts back and you're like, that's not at all what I had in mind. And the publisher's like, okay, well, what feedback? You know, and you're stuck working with the same designer. And a lot of times authors will go out and hire another designer, get the stuff at the quality they want and come back and say, no, like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And so the support that you get is just as important as the money. And a lot of times people are getting great support. And a lot of times it's pretty mediocre and bottom of the barrel just because the publisher, the Spotify, whoever's playing a numbers game. So that's going to be a big factor. And I don't know how you know that in advance before signing the deal other than interviews, checking references with other artists or authors, and then looking at the size of that deal. You know, the bigger the deal, the more seriously you know the company's taking it because they got to make their money back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there will always be a big market for the really big name creators, you know, the New York Times bestseller types and the equivalent billboard top 40 types, which occasionally you still see some breakthrough stars there. I think the model of the future is going to be independent with the help of something like distribution from a label or a publisher and more in favor of creators, whether it's all the way one way or the other is probably unlikely. Right. But I'm going to be really fascinated to see if a Drake or someone like that says, no, you know, I don't need a label anymore. Let's go do this alone. Or if Kanye does succeed in winning his master's back or something like that, what is the model that they then use to monetize their own content over time? And if I'm a creator today getting started, I'm thinking about that set of problems first. Unless I'm a star athlete that's already got a massive name, a former politician that everyone knows, like unless I'm that, in which case I might go get the biggest contract I can and just ride the fame. I think I'm just going to build from scratch for myself. And it might be a little bit of a longer journey up front, right? but I think the value of it to me long-term is going to be massive. Yeah, I think so. Cool. It's good stuff. Creator of the day. All right. My creator is Srini Rao. He's got tons of great stuff going on. I want to highlight this story that we did on him. One of our ConvertKit creator stories. Drop the link in the show notes and all of that. But it's also on our podcast. I'm a creator. He's someone that I've known not super well, but just off and on for, I think we've both known him since the early days of being in the space. And he's just one of those like really consistent, thoughtful creators who keeps trying to bring like the soul to online business. And I always appreciate that. So definitely check out uh, his stuff and we'll link to his creator session. Love it. Creator story. I always say creator session. That's a different thing. Get it together. Exactly. Oh, let's see. I'm sharing my screen. Mine is Ben Thompson over at Stratechery. I don't know if we mentioned him before, but even if we have, he's a fantastic writer. He's probably a better strategic thinker. Like I think his strategic thinking ability is what drives his writing ability, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they fuel each other, but his mind works in beautiful ways. And I think he sees things in the business environment and ways that your average, just like consumer of business content is not going to see them. And he does it in a way that then allows you to be that smart. And so I think it's interesting for two reasons. Number one, I think it'll level up the way that you think about your own business. Number two, I think it'll make you a way more interesting dinner party attendee and conversationalist because he will expose you to lines of thinking that I think are not commonly shared. And you know, maybe his audience is several hundred thousand people or whatever it might be, but generally speaking, no one knows who he is in the broader world. And so I think finding creators like this who expose you to new ways of thinking that then allow you to parlay that into your everyday life and then spark those good conversations. At least for me, I'm always looking out for that kind of learning. So anyways, Ben's great. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. In light of Stratechery and Ben's stuff and the whole conversation today, who would pull a Spotify setting aside them and do a Joe Rogan style deal with Ben Thompson? Is it is it medium? Is it Substack? Is it us? Like, what does that world look like? I don't think Ben Thompson would do it, number one. Yeah. So I think he values his work too much to do it. In fact, he just launched a subscription podcast, a direct to his listener podcast, but who would do it? Right. 
Okay, so I think about who's got capital to play with. We're still relatively early in the days of having capital to play with. So I think about companies like Stripe. Yeah. Shopify is not quite, Shopify would acquire a WebSmith, not Ben Thompson. Right. Yep. For anyone listening, WebSmith has a really good newsletter community on e-commerce and the ins and outs of all these brands. And, and direct-to-consumer and co-founder of yeah. Mizzen and Main, men's performance shirts and clothes. He was at another company early on. Rogue Fitness, I think he was at early on. Yeah, I would say Stripe would be my answer. That would be like the company most likely to go after a thinker like Ben. Yeah, that makes sense. That's always what's interesting to me when you're building any kind of company or creative enterprise of like, well, who would acquire it? Not because you necessarily sell to them, but it's it's interesting is how you fit and position yourself in the market. Mm-hmm. All right, my resource of the day is the podcast editing tool Descript. One, if you want an example of just a great video ad, their promo video is so good, just Descript.com. But this is from Andrew Mason, who founded Groupon. And this is his latest venture, and it's so much cooler than Groupon. So anyway, it's visual, like transcription-based editing of podcasts and video. I've been playing with it a bunch, and it's been really fun. So anyway, check it out, Descript.com. Cool. My resource of the day is going to be more of like a trend that I'm seeing. Some of you may have read about this app called Clubhouse. That's an audio social networking app. And since it was created, there have been several kind of copycats. Clubhouse has been very exclusive. They've gotten big name people on there early to try and get the momentum. And then there have been these other ones that have been created that are like, you don't need exclusivity to create a great network. And so my resource of the day is knowing that audio social networking is coming down the pike. And I think that for many people in the creator world, at least trying it out and just seeing how it works, not with any particular end in mind, spend an hour on an app a week to know that that is one potential future of where just kind of like online networking and social networking is going is probably worth your time just so that you're in early enough to understand it before it becomes a thing. If it's going to become a thing that catches you off guard, I personally enjoy being an early adopter. I'm not like at that leading, bleeding edge, but I like being an early adopter of trends that might affect the creator economy because it allows you to anticipate the ways in which it might affect your business. So anyways, an FYI, maybe not a resource. Maybe it's a resource. I don't know. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We're going to sign off for now and dive back into our virtual team retreat, but we'll see you back on Friday. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.